0: thousand dollars of savings my dad uh literally back to the comment of pushing his chips in the middle of the table he borrowed against his 401k to come up with 15 grand with thirty thousand dollars budget that we used to start this thing um, we signed the lease september 1st and literally turned the consignment shop into First, Luke's Lobster Shack within 30 days and like $32,000 later. Wow.
1: Uh, Hi, guys. So excited to share my conversation with my friend Luke Holden, the founder and CEO of Luke's Lobster. If you haven't heard or tried of Luke's Lobster, I highly recommend you do. They serve classic, authentic, and delicious lobster rolls. And most importantly, the fish they are serving comes straight from their seafood company in Maine, ensuring traceable and sustainable seafood. For instance, I live in Philadelphia. If I go to the Luke's Lobster Shack in Rittenhouse Square and order a lobster roll, I know for a fact that the lobster I'm eating was harvested and sourced directly from the Atlantic Ocean only 48 hours prior. So quick background on Luke's incredible story. He was born in Cape Elizabeth, Maine and is a third generation lobsterman. He went to Georgetown University and after graduation in 2007, went into a career in investment banking in New York City, making a very good salary. In the summer of 2009, he found himself missing home and went in search of a lobster roll. To his dismay, every lobster roll in New York City that was available was overpriced, drowning in mayo, or diluted with celery. Realizing that there was a hole in the market, Luke decided to take a risk and open his very own 200-square-foot lobster shack in New York City in October 2009, right in the midst of the recession. He found his partner, Ben Conniff, on Craigslist, and he convinced his dad to be a 50-50 investor. Luke's dad borrowed against his 401k, and Luke had $15,000 in savings. Together, the investment was a mere $45,000. Fast forward almost 10 years, Luke's lobster now has 29 locations across the country. They have shacks in New York City, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, Boston, Las Vegas, Miami, San Fran, and Maine. They also have 13 shacks in, in Japan and two in Taiwan. They're the primary lobster holder for Whole Foods, so if you shop there, you can find their lobster rolls as well. Today, Luke's Lobster has 60 million in sales, which is beyond impressive. So without further ado, here's my interview with Luke. Okay, so today on the show, I have my friend Luke Holden, who is the founder and CEO of Luke's Lobster, and big shout out to our mutual friends, Kelly and Charlie Walsh, who helped us make the connection at their wedding back in September. Kelly's one of my best friends from growing up, and Charlie is Luke's good friend from Georgetown, so thank you, Kelly and Charlie. Also, Luke, I had to tell you, I have a tremendous amount of respect for what you have built at Luke's Lobster. I was actually up in New York City with Kelly this past weekend. And I was walking around Central Park with my mom, and we both were commenting on how huge New York City is. It's daunting, in a sense, that they have everything, and it's hard to imagine that they have any holes in their market. But later that day, as I was thinking about, you know, my upcoming interview with you, and just about how, I guess it's been nine years, you proved that concept wrong. You found a hole in the market in, you know, the biggest city in the world, and from that, you've built Luke's Lobster. So super honored. To be able to share your story today. And with that being said, because where you grew up has had such a profound influence on your company today, thought it would be super helpful to provide the listeners with a little bit of background on your upbringing in Maine.
0: Well, I appreciate you having me today. It's mm-hmm. very, very cool. It's a fun experience for me. Um, my first podcast. So, very, cool. Um, very, very cool. Um, so, I'm a third generation lobsterman. Mm-hmm. Uh, father was a lobsterman turned lobster dealer turned lobster processor. He had the very first lobster processing license um, in the state of Maine. Um, So that naturally meant that I spent a lot of my childhood on boats, on docks, in seafood companies. Uh, When I was 10 years old, I got kicked out of summer camp and my mom didn't know what to do with me. So she dropped me off at the pier. And and that day, uh, my dad was unloading the Hannah Boat which was the uh, sister ship
2: for mm-hmm.
0: the Andrea Gale in the perfect storm and kind of fast forward, uh, 25 years and now we're buying all of the crab off of that boat. And I was down in New Bedford, um, kind of doing the same thing last week. Very uh, cool. but very much, uh, seafood being a, uh, ingrained part of my, of my DNA.
1: So what sort of influence did your parents have on you too? You grew up with two brothers, right?
0: I have two younger brothers. Both of yeah. them are partners in the business. Okay. Um, we're, uh, very close knit family. I mean, dad is, is that quintessential, um, serial entrepreneur, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, always kind of, uh, he has a big, even bigger appetite for risks than I do. Uh, loves pushing his chips in the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is a school teacher, um, uh, now a retired school teacher, uh, she's for 35 years. Um, uh, so for her education and, and getting a college degree and in, in healthcare benefits, that was also very very significant for her um, in getting those, getting her three boys through that system. And for for us to then kind of uh, all uh, migrate from our professional careers to be part of a startup restaurant group was a little scary for
1: a little her. Scary, yeah. I know that you went to Georgetown, obviously with our you know friend Charlie. So what made you make the decision to go there?
0: Uh, I was just—I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. I think like a lot of undergrads, but I, I wanted to be part of the, uh, a campus that was that was pumped about the, the school that they were the school that they were at. I, I thought I wanted to do something business. I wanted to be part of an undergraduate business program. And, um, and then Georgetown just had such a great community uh, of people that that I just like very very quickly felt like I was a part of, um, so it just, it, it just felt natural, and then certainly um, uh, on matriculating, it was just, it, I, I would, I would, I would never choose another school over Georgetown, I just, I, I, I love it, it was great for me.
1: After Georgetown, I know you went off to New York City, so um, what job did you decide to do there?
0: Yeah, so graduated in 2007, It was a double major in finance and mm-hmm. management, Really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, going to be an investment banker in 2007 was like a relatively easy and trendy um, decision to make. Um, a lot of banks were hiring; it was a very good time on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So uh, I got a great job, part of a great team, doing a merger and acquisition work in in the real estate sector, and uh, it, it was it was wild. Like when I first joined went to a couple of closing dinners, um, you know, not really having a clue about the the work and effort it took to put these source and put these deals together. And like shortly like three, six months after joining the team, like the headcounts were getting halved and there was no more excessive closing dinners. Um so it, it very much uh it very much fell apart very quickly. Um and I was fortunate enough to just of experience all of that while maintain, maintaining a, um, a, a a great job
1: okay so because re- you graduated in May of 2007 and then the recession hit I guess um, almost like a year and a half after that
0: i I think we started to feel it quite honestly like uh, like early 2008 I okay mean, like the the headcount really started to reduce um, like I mean, we we didn't hire at all for the following uh, um, following analyst class. Okay. You know.
1: So then at what point did you think of the idea of Luke's lobster? I know it was sort of like right in the midst of that recession so I would love for you to tell to, del- to tell that story.
0: Yeah so literally sitting at my desk on a summer Sunday afternoon and I was missing home so I went online looking for something that reminded me of home and uh, that was a lobster roll. and I I really just could not find a high quality, authentic, um, affordable Maine style lobster roll. Everything was white tablecloth, thirty plus dollars. All these great chefs' interpretation of 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 what a lobster roll was meant to be, but they were screwing it all up so badly. To be frank and. So I started to put a business plan together that just sort of answered that question. Like, why are all these great chefs messing this thing up? Why mm-hmm. didn't this exist in New York? Couldn't find an answer and, and, uh, shared it with a bunch of, um, uh, of mentors and Georgetown buddies, uh, and kind of massaged the plan, um, a couple of versions and ultimately got enough, uh, um, got enough momentum to say this is worth the, the savings that I had put away and, and, uh, um, and, and the time investment to do it.
1: Okay. So then you, so you thought of the idea in summer of 2009 and then, uh, at what point did you guys open? Like how, how long was that time from when you, you thought of the idea and then you opened the, the first day at Luke's Lobster?
0: So really this timeline is, is unnatural and, and uh, atypical. We, it was probably like May or June. Um, and, and uh, I probably spent, like, 90 days putting a business plan together okay. and simultaneously, like, posting on Craigslist to see if I could find a partner of all places. Okay. Because um, I wasn't ready to leave the investment bank. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of polishing off the business plan, um, looking for real estate and, as part of, like, trying to understand what that expense and opportunity and risk looked like. And, and then – uh, also kind of trying to see what the people side of this. And I found a guy, I found some real estate, uh, uh, had my dad come down like the real estate, flew um, my partner, now partner up to Maine to meet my dad, and my uncle, make sure that they thought of this guy the same way I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a Yale guy, was, was was a food writer, had a lot of passion for Maine, seemed very hardworking, very honest. He was kind of one of them that just sniffed the same, uh, uh, core capabilities. And, and it, it was amazing how quickly things actually move. So we, we gave him a, a job offer. We made an offer on the real estate. Um, I had $15,000 of savings. My dad, uh, literally back to the comment of pushing his chips in the middle of the table, he borrowed against his 401k to come up with 15 grand. So we had $30,000 budget that we used to start this thing. Um, we signed the lease September 1st and literally turned a consignment shop into the first Luke's Lobster shack within 30 days and like $32,000 later. Wow. Um, it's it, it, again, like we, we, the runway now for opening up a shack is probably closer to a year okay. <laughs> um, and, and like you know, closer to four or $500,000 than 30. So it's just such a, uh, we just we really rolled our sleeves up no was unacceptable and and kind of our our relative uh ignorance was definitely uh, was definitely a competitive advantage for us at the mm-hmm.
1: time. so you thought of the idea in may or june and then you opened the doors in october yeah is that right so a couple of things did you guys encounter any naysayers because we still were sort of you know right in the heart of the recession you know you had a good paying job um and also, you know, you found your partner on Craigslist, which isn't the most you know, normal route to go. So when your friends or, you know, family or coworkers were hearing that you were doing this, did did anyone, you know, did you encounter any big naysayers? And if so, how did you not fall victim to them?
0: Sure. I mean, my mother was the largest naysayer because she just didn't want to see um, further investment in the family, the, the seafood business, so to speak. Um, but uh, honestly, um I think I was very lucky in, in the mentorship that I, that I sought out. Um, it, it, there was like, like I, a dear friend named Bill Frank, and I shared the business plan, another Georgetown guy, I shared the business plan with him. And part of it was to bake our own bread. So like, what does he do? He's like, I would strike that part. And, and the way you should get comfortable with striking that component is go, go talk to this guy who runs a bakery and understand how complex his business is. And, why you don't need to be also baking bread as part of this? Um, another guy um, hated the name of the business; like it was called like um, Overboard Lobster. Okay, um, you, you're not. You have such a wonderful, authentic story to tell between uh, between a, 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 a third generation lineage and a, a father son teaming up to bring the highest quality seafood from your dad's company in New York City. And there's a person behind this so uh not only does the alliteration of leek's lobster work but there's a great story you need to tell behind this and mm. how important that is so like there was all these wonderful tweaks but there wasn't a lot of people saying like don't do it and like some of the so, the thing that was like so great about this time in my life uh was i was I think i was, was 23 24 years old mm. um had like a gym membership an aggressive bar tab on the weekend, um, you know, like a, a month-to-month lease, and and an at-will job contract. So, like, there was so, in the spectrum of, like, life, there was so little risk mm-hmm. and 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 so much energy um, that that uh, when I meet with, call them young people today, and they've got passion behind something, it's, the best thing you can do is just try and help somebody figure something out versus, mm-hmm. like, throwing wrong road
2: blocks
0: up yeah Um, so I'll always appreciate that
1: and then um no I I totally agree with you too so talking about your mom really quickly too how long did it take for her to kind of get comfortable with the idea of everything when did she when did she come around
0: yeah you know I I would never say like she just like all of a sudden snapped and and was like geez I'm so glad you're uh you're doing this Mm -hmm. um and then, like, you know, it just got, it got kind of compiled when, um, when my brother left his consulting job at IBM, um, uh, a Bowdoin grad, and, and then my youngest brother, a Skidmore grad, uh, uh had some internships, and then ultimately it was like, I, I want to, I want to come join the family business, mm-hmm. um, so we sort of just kept piggybacking on, on, uh, <laughs> on mom's concerns, and, um. The way we run the business and live our lives, I mean, we're always like, we're always out there competing. The business is always, uh, uh it, it's, we're, we're a substantial business in many people's eyes, I suppose, but we're, we're scrappy and we're working really hard mm. and, and every, uh, um, uh, I think that, you know, that, that side of it is just a, uh, it's never something I think my mom is ever, like, she, she's she was part of a a public school system and the safety of that. Right. That's uh, that's just who she is. Right.
1: So, Luke, can you tell us about the very first day of business when you guys opened? Did you kind of – did you have any aha moments that day when you sort of knew you were on to something?
0: So, first, the way I structured this um, from a risk profile was Mm -hmm. I kept my day job.
1: Okay. um, That's right. Okay. I didn't leave the investment bank until we were ready to open up the second shack on the
0: Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. So like I was in, um, the shack like, uh, I don't know, from like six in the morning until seven thirty. Uh, we opened, I think at nine that day. Um, and, uh, all the nerves in the world, you know, my dad was in town. My partner Ben was there. We had hired a new, new team. Um, uh, small things like uh, we, we literally ran out of enough money to like go buy trash cans down at the bar- Bowery. So I remember like tying trash bags off on corners.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but but uh, y- y- you know the guys at the bank they they were not gonna let me be part of that initial um, that initial opening day because okay. this was a this was a side investment. This was a project. This was not my career at okay. this point in time. Got it. So like I, I, was back to my desk while like you know say I was there by eight o'clock and um and the, the, the my phone was just silent you know I I didn't have um I didn't have neither my dad nor nor my partner anyone on the team was communicating with me so I I checked in and I was like okay well I don't know what's going on So I called it called it lunch rush and nobody picked up and then like two o'clock I got a text message back just saying line line's been around the corner since nine o'clock in the wow. morning. Line, still around the corner um uh, all smiles but just crazy you know don't uh, don't don't just pay anything else so um you know at that point in time like i was just so so excited um there was a little bit of chatter on uh on social media but this was still very early uh for social so some of the uh, food blogs um had kind of given some updates throughout the day but information it was like very very slow to come in and and uh you know, the, i love the guys at the bank but i definitely uh i, I had busy work until after the restaurant closed um, right. on intention that day so i like okay. you know, i show up at like 10 30 11 o'clock at night they're Got cleaning it. up and they're exhausted and they're like yeah had a crazy day I sold well over 500 sandwiches wow. on the first day people were happy uh, the team was uh, all grins and uh, so it, it really uh That, that was, that was, that was an exciting first day, even, uh, even, um, being 20 blocks north and six blocks, uh, west. Yeah.
1: So how long did you keep your day job for? Like, how long did you juggle that?
0: So we opened October 1st, uh, East Village, and then we opened May 26th of 2010, the following year. So it was like a little bit more than six months that I did both. Wow. And like, I was, uh. Uh, when I wasn't working on the weekends, I was in the shack. Uh, I was there uh, at night picking up cash and doing the revenue logs, and um, the morning just any setups. It was, you know, I, I look back at like the lack of sleep and uh, mm-hmm. and just the overall excitement of of this. And uh, uh, things change, and like you know, now it's like I've got an infant and I'm kind of going through the same uh, the same type of sleep cycles, but. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's, it's just more of like a, uh, when you've got passion around something and, and, uh, uh, you can lose, you can lose a sense of time and, and, and those six months, um, and in many ways, the last 10 years, um, have, have done that just because of the passion that I've had for this business, our team.
1: Yeah. And one word that comes to mind when I think about like those first six months when you were juggling the job and now, you know, getting used to having a family too, is, the word grit. So I always sort of try to bring up um, Angela Duckworth's book. I'm not sure if you've read it. It's called Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance. And she talks about how success is not genius, but a unique combination of passion and long-term perseverance. So would love to hear about sort of what the word grit means to you and how you used grit um, during those first six months.
0: It's, uh, I haven't read the book I will now, Um, but I, what, what I, I think ultimately people get all messed up about um, entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. is like the concept of going into business for yourself, Um, you know, I, I grew up in a family of a very entrepreneurial dad, as I mentioned, and, and, you know, he never missed the things that were important to him, Um, so like we were, the three of us were very, three boys were very active in sports, and he found a way to, to make all of those games and, and anything in school that was important. He found a way to make that. And mm-hmm. I always kind of like growing up had the impression that, um, my dad worked for himself and, uh, he, that's why he was able to do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what I, what I didn't fully understand was that it was like at the sacrifice of, of just an irregular schedule mm-hmm. and, and always finding, um, uh, always finding time to, to juggle all of the things. Being an entrepreneur really means uh, working for for your team, mm-hmm. and and in many ways, in, in like that first six to twelve months, what I really learned about grit is is just the importance of of of, of showing up and putting your team's success first. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it it was such like a. Um, it was such a such a flip for me mentally, uh, uh, but something I think that came naturally and something that I got very very quickly was was uh, once I was in that driver's seat was which literally just the importance of of, of, of having uh, that, that mindset that it was important to, to prioritize your team and to do whatever you could to to, to prop your team up to be to be successful and, and in many ways that just like it takes a lot of grit because. It's not it's not on your own schedule and it's not any type of prescribed schedule. And um, people are not robots and they're they're the opposite of programmable. So uh, so it it ultimately takes a lot of grit to put yourself in a position where you are you're you're beholden and and your success is determined by the success of your teammates.
1: Right. I love that. Um so then at what point did you guys open the second location? That was in May of 2010 when you quit your when you quit your day job? Yep. Okay. And now fast forward you guys have forty eight locations around the country?
0: Yeah, so we have it's close. We have like thirty in the US. Okay. Maine, Boston, Philly, DC, Chicago, Miami, Las Vegas, San Francisco. And then we have 12 internationally. So we've got 10 in Japan Mm -hmm. and two in Taiwan. So it's it's kind of just over 40.
1: So then in 2012, I wanted to talk about that because I know that you found your own, um, or opened your own seafood company to meet the company's increasing demand of top quality seafood and to have the best supply chain management process. So how and why does having your own seafood company play such a tremendous role in the process of delivering the top quality lobster rolls? And then also, can you tell us exactly what happens for when the lobster is caught until it arrives on the customer's plate? Yeah. So um, probably
0: not something that all of our guests know and that I wish I could figure out how Mm. to um, tell in a a more uh, consistent and and grand way, but we're an entirely vertically integrated business. So, we work with north of a uh, 150 fishermen uh, in any form or fashion, where we're contracting directly with a cooperative to buy all of their catch, all of their landings, to buying their landings Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, to um, owning uh, um, uh, piers and and and, uh, and operations on on the working waterfront. So we're legitimately buying all of our live lobster and crab uh, and bring it into our production facility uh, in Saco, Maine. So what that looks like is north of 5 million pounds of, of, of live lobster a year and north of 2 million pounds of Jonah crab a year. Um, it, the plant in Saco is a it's 150, uh plus uh, person, teammate, uh, company, it does equal revenues as, as the, the restaurant group, and um, half of its sales go to uh, the restaurant group, and and the other half go to companies like Whole Foods. I mean, at this point in time, um, uh, we are uh, the primary lobster supplier for, for Whole Foods, something we're very, very proud of. Wow, okay. Um, but it's a, it's a massive account for us and it's a massive, massive partnership and relationship for us. But like, you know, half of my day is, uh, is interacting with fishermen and, and, uh, and the supply chain. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's, I love, I love the restaurant side of it and making mm-hmm. people happy and delivering value to our guests, um, but, but you know back to like kind of the, the DNA of the DNA of my upbringing and my, my passion in this in this business is uh, it, it's it's really at the shore and and those relationships with, with fishermen and, and being in the seafood company and producing the, the best quality um, seafood products in the world is is. Uh, um, It's exciting, and it's -hmm. a a very dynamic part of our business. that Mm -hmm. makes us very different than the other restaurant group out there. Right.
1: I love reading about that because, um, you know, I read that, you know, you have the fishermen from Rhode Island up to Quebec, you know, buying the live lobster, crab, and shrimp, and bringing it back to your seafood company in southern Maine, and then it gets shipped directly to the shack. So that makes me feel better when I'm eating, you know, these lobster rolls, knowing that it came directly from – um, from Maine, So, um, so, so I love that. I love that sustainability of it. And then, um, question two though, how long, like from, from the day you guys catch the lobster, um, how long does it take you guys to ship it to the different shacks throughout the country?
0: It's probably anywhere from 36 to to 60 hours. Um, it's the best thing you can do, uh, when you catch a lobster is to is to steam it um, immediately. As soon as that lobster is out of the water, it literally starts to to digest its own lipids and proteins because mm-hmm. um, it's no longer eating.
2: Okay. And
0: all of that is flavor. So, um, what, what, typically, when a lobster comes out of the water, it's it's in um,
1: it's in the cooker uh, within 24 hours. Wow.
0: Okay. Um, and then from the process of it being cooked, um, the meat extracted, um, picked, um, and, and packed is probably another 24 hours to uh, 12 to 24 hours to, um, get in a box and be shipped to one of the shacks. Got it. So okay. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty impressive process. Mm-hmm.
1: I love how you said, um, you compared the individuals who steam, pick and pack the seafood as a LeBron James of their trade. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> it,
0: it's like, it's, it's a masterful thing. We, so we envision this there's on average day for us, we'll process 40,000 pounds of live lobster. Mm-hmm. So if a lobster has, um, that's probably about 35,000 individual lobsters. Mm-hmm. So if a lobster has two claws, which typically does that's 70,000 claws in one day, 18 pickers can extract the meat.
1: Wow. Like Hand-picking the meat in a six-hour shift. Wow. It's,
0: it's like wild how quick and efficient these pickers are. So mm. there is no wonder that they are a LeBron James of the operation.
1: I kind of want to talk about how the companies evolved, too, because I feel like we've already been talking about that a little bit. But um, so over the past – is it nine years or almost ten now that you guys have been opened.
0: It'll be 10 this October.
1: So cool. You started um, with three people, your dad, um, Ben, and yourself. How many employees do you have today, nine and a half years later?
0: Just over 500.
1: Wow. Very cool. And then at what point did your brothers decide to come work with you?
0: So my middle brother, Brian, opened up the third shack, the one on the Upper West Side. Okay. he joined the team and kind of saw the process of real estate selection, building out a shack, hiring a team, running a team. And then um, he moved back down to D.C. and opened up our Penn Quarter location with a high school buddy of ours, um, a guy named Garrett Currier. Uh, and you know, the two of them now, uh, along with my youngest brother, who joined the company, and um Maybe 2013, 2014. Okay. Um, And the three of them are now charged with uh, the development team. So they go out and find all the real estate and develop the projects, do all the hiring with support of uh, the headquarters. Um, But they're basically a team that goes out and develops. And then once something is developed, they hand it off to the operations team.
1: Okay, very cool. And then how many shacks do you guys intend to build um, per year going forward?
0: So we have a very big project coming online in 2019. I guess that's this year already. Mm -hmm. Um, It's 175 uh, seats two-story, full-menu, full-service, um, integrated with the Working Waterfront Project in Portland, Maine. Okay. So it's the end of a end of pier um, where we'll buy anywhere from three-quarters to a million pounds of live lobster um, that's connected onto this two-story restaurant that overlooks Portland Harbor. Um, we we'll are buying giant bluefin and tuna down at the end of this pier. We'll be doing lobster boat tours. We'll be doing... Um, Uh, sustainability lessons where guests can come into the the pound and learn about between new shell hard shell the sustainability notes of the industry Um, learn the different uh, how to tell the difference between a female and male lobster crusher claw pincher claw Um, and so we're going to be creating a a lobster campus um, at the end of this pier iconic pier in portland that was Six months ago, falling into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So we completely rebuilt the pier, completely restored the lobster by, and now we're turning a kind of a dilapidated uh, office space condo um, into a, a kind of a, an opportunity to showcase the the catch of uh, of our fishermen. Um, so that's such a big project that we're the restaurant group is really focusing on on that in conjunction with potentially one more um, new market, um, that we're still exploring for 2019. Okay. We've also evolved into consumer packaged goods. So, um, we did close to a hundred thousand units of Luke's lobster branded, um, uh, lobster rolls and lobster tails in whole foods okay. this past year. And we're looking to really build out, um, consumer package good the seafood company.
1: Yeah Luke, when did you when did you go into partnership with that? I meant to ask you that with um with Whole Foods.
0: Uh it's it's been building okay. um like dramatically year over year, but we probably started doing business with them uh, maybe like three years ago.
1: Okay. So I can go into Whole Foods and buy like frozen Luke's lobster or um, crab rolls. So how does that work exactly?
0: So all of the lobster tails in their refresh container Um, are, they're not currently branded as Luke's, but those are our lobster tails. Um, and then in the frozen seafood aisle, you can buy, uh, a half a pound of lobster meat and a seasoning. So it's like a lobster roll kit. Um, so you can go home and make lobster rolls at home. And then you can also buy two, uh, twin, uh, lobster tails with a marinade if you wanted to, Grill or broil um, um, lobster tails.
1: Okay, very cool. I didn't know that. I'm excited to tell my siblings that too. Within the past, you know, nine and a half years, you guys have grown a lot. So how have you financed the growth of Luke's Lobster? Have you brought in any investors um, over the past, you know, nine years or so?
0: So for the first six years, uh, we, we grew just with retained earnings. Um, it was pretty... Chain earnings and, and a uh, facility that we uh, got from Bank of America uh, to just help with some of our inventory financing. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that like 40,000 pounds of live lobster a day um, at an average say of like, it, it's you need about 200 grand of working capital per day to, to just run that business. Um, and fishermen get paid in you're from two to seven days and most of your accounts pay on 30 days term so bank of america was very helpful in creating uh, a working line of credit that helped us finance that component of the business but then all the development the restaurant group was self-funded through retained earnings
2: okay.
0: um, so that was the first six years and then when we got um, to the point where we felt like we could accelerate as a team if we were given money we could accelerate growth uh, we took on private equity money. Um, so that was probably, it was, that was, uh, um, spring of 2016, we raised, um, uh, a, a minority interest in, uh, in the business and on a very stri- strategic partner. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been absolutely wonderful from, uh, uh, from having a partner that's been there and done that. And that's helped me, uh, mature into like uh from the founder to like ceo, CEO role um and help just really professionalize the business
1: mm-hmm. are you able to disclose your sales how, how much sales you guys have had
0: yeah so like with the eliminate, elimination entries um between the seafood company and the restaurant group mm-hmm. uh, or north of 60 million
1: That's amazing. So obviously you guys have had, you know, a tremendous amount of success. So a lot of times the listeners um, might put the guests on pedestals because of all the success you've had. But as you know, you know, we're all human and we all experience setbacks. So have you – can you tell us a story of any setbacks and or failures that you've had, uh, you know, over the the course of your time at Luke's Lobster and then how you persevered through them?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think the most real – I think the most real and and sort of debilitating mistake that, that that we've made and and somewhat recently is is just not not entirely understanding uh, who our guest is. Mm-hmm. Um, we I think we had certain impressions of of, of who they were, um, and and the one thing that we kind of missed uh, was the average frequency. So like how frequent a guest would would come to Luke's. Um, and the way we realized that was was basically overbuilding some of our markets Mm -hmm. so in 2017 I think we built eight or ten shacks and we did it predominantly in markets that uh, we were uh, already in okay so so from that standpoint in many ways we we didn't we didn't put together a plan that went out and increased awareness. Um, so we, we built shacks and markets that we were already doing good business in, but kind of just traded uh, traded sales in, in, in between the shacks that, that we, that we built instead of just growing the overall awareness and growing the customer base. Oh, and okay. I, I think like, ha- had we understand, understood how guests perceive our brand, use our brand. A, we would have been smarter on how we developed in in our existing markets, and B, we would have we would have changed our marketing approach to um, uh, to, to drive more awareness around the brand, and also change the menu uh, to create more opportunity for frequency. Um, so that is that is that is also like. What we are currently working on at this point in time is 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 trying to create more opportunities to to enjoy Luke's and, and and increase frequency
1: got it and so where are you today so do you go back and forth between New York and Maine or where do you spend most of your time
0: I am probably 50 um, 50 most personal time is up in Maine um but uh with my my family but uh work time is split pretty equally between, uh, um, markets that the restaurants are operating in and then the headquarters of the restaurant group is in Brooklyn, New York and headquarters of the Company is in Saco, Maine so um, I'm on the road a lot.
1: Okay. And I know you have a baby too so does, does your wife work at the company too?
0: She doesn't. Um, okay. My wife had a very successful career in sports marketing. Oh, very cool. And um, Yeah, she's she's an absolute all-star and she's currently uh um running probably harder than she ever has being a mom right very very grateful for that um but she's not uh she's not currently working um professionally
1: got it very nice okay so a couple rapid fire questions i thought we could get to would love to hear the advice that you would offer to a graduating college senior
0: yeah this is like i feel like this is the, the cookie cutter advice but um i couldn't endorse it enough and, and that's just to build a network of people that care about you mm-hmm. um you know like this world needs to get back to writing handwritten thank you notes mm-hmm. um that are meaningful and, and creating genuine relationships and there's been so many times where uh, I've needed uh guidance and support and uh and I've, I've just had a wonderful network of people that, that care about Luke's and care about me and that I've been able to reach out to uh, because I've built a strong network and that's just really helped us be successful the last 10 years. Mm-hmm.
1: I totally agree about the handwritten notes too. I think everyone loves to receive one and it just goes, you know, it goes a long way. So I think that's, that's great advice. When you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it can be more than one person.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a big hockey player and I love Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love his, his quote of, y- you miss 100% of the shots you don't take.
1: I love that, too. What do the first 90 days of your day look like? People like to hear about you know different people's schedules and how they get things done.
0: So I'm, I'm an early riser. I'm usually up at 5.30, and I'm at the gym by 6. Okay. And then I'm usually out of the gym by 7. And, and uh, uh, I usually I usually don't take any like structure. Until, until eight or eight thirty. Okay. So um, from like five thirty until until eight or eight thirty. Uh, if I don't have a breakfast plan, which I do try and do two or three times a week from like seven thirty to eight thirty,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, then I I kind of that's why like my setup time uh, to just kind of get organized and grounded and prepared for for the day. For
1: the day, I love it. And if you could give one book to every person that you met, what would it be?
0: I think definitely relevant to this conversation. I've got a buddy named Patrick McGinnis, who's also a Georgetown guy, who mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Ten Percent Entrepreneur, okay. and it's a concept of of um, not necessarily. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to go jump off a cliff, the proverbial jump off a cliff. It's the concept of find ten percent of your net wealth, uh, net worth, ten percent of your your time, and allocate it to something that you believe in, something that you're passionate in. And that, that, that investment in in something that's entrepreneurial will ultimately end up, um, creating a lot of balance and fulfillment and success in, in your life. And, and, and sometimes like getting started that way ultimately reduces risks and helps you learn all these lessons. And, and, and if, if there is an opportunity to pivot from whatever you're doing to, to that, um, it's, it's the opportunity just to kind of crack the door and, and, and get in there and do it and, he has all sorts of case studies in that book, and um, I think he's done a. Uh, I think he he wrote a, a a great piece about trying to get people to to figure out a, a calculable way to to explore their passions. So I would encourage uh, the ten percent entrepreneur.
1: Okay, awesome. I'll include that in the show notes as well. Luke, I think that about wraps it up, and I'd love to hear what does your mom think now. Now you're almost ten years into the business and sixty million in sales. Is she still worried about you guys at all, or is she she pretty pumped for you and your brothers and your dad?
0: She's pretty pumped for us, but she, mom's always going to be the worry of, yeah. uh, of, <laughs> of the family. So um, yeah, I th- she'll never leave that post. But I okay. think she's very. I know she's very proud of us all. Oh, good.
1: And then, where can everyone find you? You know, where where can they follow Luke's Lobster? Um, I know that obviously on your website you have, you know, all of your locations and everything. Um, and I, and we didn't talk about, you have international locations as well, right? Over in Japan.
0: We do. So okay. So we have 10 in Japan. Okay. All spread all throughout Japan. Mostly Amazing. in Tokyo, but yeah. also in Osaka and Fukuoka. Okay. Um, and then we got two in Taipei.
1: Okay. And then um, at Whole Foods, they can buy Luke's Lobster too. And then if they go to Maine this summer, you said the Maine Portland Pier is opening this this summer, right, in 2019?
0: Yep. Okay. Of 2019.
1: Very cool. And then where can they follow Luke's Lobster on social media and everything?
0: We're very active on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and they're all um, at Luke's Lobster.
1: Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Luke. This was really fun.
0: Thank you. This was great. I really appreciate
1: it. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success. Or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.